State your name, rank, and intent. The doctor. Doctor. Funds. Welcome to the Whovian Review. I am Michael. I'm Shelby. My name is Colin. I'm Jace. I'm Carl. And tonight we're going to be diving into the waters of Mars. Ooh. I'd just like start up like to start off by kind of recapping this episode to say that the last scene was phenomenal. The character of Adelaide, great. The rest of the episode, eh. Kind of mediocre. Wow, way to, way to input your uh, review at the beginning. Sorry, I just had to say it. Okay, I wasn't expecting that either. Really? Yeah, really. Some of that resonates with me, to be honest. You know, the whole water zombie trope I thought was a little, a little boring. I don't think it was that well played out or, or that interesting, to be honest. Um, I think... They made some fun statements about water and its patience and all. I, I don't know how appropriate of meta, metaphor, um, metaphorical language that really was to the situation. Um, but I kind of felt just like, you know, I was guided towards like what should be the end and what should happen at the end the whole episode. And even if there is a bit of a differential there, it's kind of a, you know, a letdown in terms of the experience and expectations while you're watching uh, I mean, I kind of think maybe this episode, well, this episode would probably have been better if it was a standard, you know, 45 minute episode or even just like an hour. But like that amount of time that they just spent running back and forth down the hallways, which I get it. They got a few good jokes in, but like. Yeah, but I mean, the directors could have at least given them some bicycles or something. I mean, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, there was a lot of filler and like a lot of you know, repeated, you know, occurrences of the exact same nature. I find this to be more like a typical base under siege story, which is kind of typical for Doctor Who in many regards. They typically have um, this kind of more confined space, although in this case with very long corridors, very cemented corridors too, as a matter of fact. And, um, but I mean, it has the same feel. Basically, an alien uh, entity is trying to take over the base and trying to kill everybody. And the and, set was cool. Uh, yeah, no, I think the visual effects in this were phenomenal, uh, <laughs> especially when the Doctor first arrives on Mars. It looks like Mars. I mean, it looks like the Martian landscape. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the budget must have been out the wazoo to send all those actors to Mars and film them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do think that this is actually, the like, speaking of the budget, like, I think that sometimes when, you know, they get their budget and they decide to set, spend their budget on something like special effects or filming on location and stuff, like, Doctor Who has a tendency to spend, like, unnecessary time 
flaunting that fact. Like, they went through all the trouble to make realistic Mars, so they, like, have, like, way more than necessary shots of Mars. Beautiful, yes. Furthering the story, not at all. They did the same thing in, like, City of Death when they went to Paris in the Fourth Doctor era. Like, they just, like... (laughs) I mean, it was pretty, but, like, there was just, like, a lot of time of just, like you know, hey, look, we actually went to Paris, you know, hey, look, we actually managed to make a realistic-looking Mars, like... I don't know, I I actually disagree for this episode. I (laughs) thought it was ample time looking at Mars, and I thought for all that work that they did that you might have more open window scenes in this in this base, but really it's just kind of like this warehouse house silo and, you know, a greenhouse. I don't think open windows would have made sense in the base itself because you're dealing with a planet where you have no atmosphere, you have no you have no ties to Earth. So if you go out on the planet, you're going to have all sorts of problems. I mean, yeah, I, I meant more like a, a clear interface that would be... Possibly, but I still think that would be more difficult for the first people on Mars. You're going to have to have more kind of basic, just enclosed spaces. Would yeah, make sense. and you know, I think there, that's a, a practically very true, but I do think that this is a fictional show that they could have done some flair. You know, you know also- in, in real life, the um, astronauts who, who went up into space and uh, they like the original prototype for the the ship had no window in it. And the astronauts were like, um, no, excuse me, we want a window. We want to be able to see that we're in space. And they insisted that uh, a window get put in it, and it was. And then actually, ever since, there have always been windows in, in those things. So I think it actually might, I don't know, it's hard. But then they also have landers that don't have you know, windows, so it's hard to say which way it would go, but I, th- I don't think that a window would be, you know, out of question. Especially because they have a lot of transparent, you know, internal windows that are supposedly airtight, this tight, you know. It seems like if you weren't expecting some weird water virus monster who can do more than regular water can do, it would have worked out pretty well. I think the practical effects and the makeup for the zombie-like creatures was pretty effective, though. The uh, you've got water coming out of everywhere, <laughs> and uh, the actors when they were acting in in those kind of zombie-like uh, motifs, I think really kind of stood out as pretty wild. Especially the one girl who was trapped in the quarantine area. Oh yeah, she Her was eyes, great. Oh my goodness, that was scary. Super creepy. Any thoughts on that, Jace? Yeah, I thought these actors were pretty pretty cool. Granted, they didn't really have much else to do but to just stand there with their mouths open. I mean, as far as the... <laughs> I mean, yeah. As far as the plot goes, I mean, I think the characters were really great, and I just thought that this was, like, a great moment in David Tennant's run because you basically saw him say, screw the rules... I'm God, and you got to see that blow up in his face just as he deserved it. How much did it blow up in his face, though? I mean, because keep in mind, like, there was a time where he was just sitting there just listening to everyone, like, dying, and just that scene on itself was, like, very, very drawn out. Like, the point was to get you inside the head of the doctor knowing that these people are all going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. He probably was in a point of well, this really, really sucks. 
So that's when he was like, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and listen to this happen. I'm going to do something about it, even if, you know, it's not supposed to happen, even though he knew why that Dalek didn't come to her. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know what? I don't, because he called it, um, what did he call it? Like a myth or like, he called it a theory that there are fixed points in time. So he was like, well, let's test that theory. And so he went at it with all of his might, but even she knew that they were going to die. And that's what needed to happen. But the doctor just wanted to be able to save everyone. I guess he did learn something from Pompeii. But well, at least save somebody. Yes. Then I was going to point that out. He did that, save two people. Yeah. And he, he wanted to, I'm guessing, because of Donna's influence on them from Exactly. Pompeii. So that's I mean, like... But he saved three people and one person voluntarily decided. Yeah, because she was basically like, F you. Like, who do you think you are? No one should have this much power. Like, he was super cocky about it. And that's terrifying. Like, I've never seen the doctor that cocky like that and playing I, I God. I how dark that was and how it seemed like it was setting up for like a really dark doctor. He was evil. But what I was surprised by when she took out that gun, I thought for sure she was going to turn around and aim it at the doctor. You know, because, you know, she's like, oh, this monster, no one should have this power. But it's like, well, well. But that was her way of taking power away from him. Yeah, she I was showing was him that he was not all powerful. And that's what he needed because the look on his face what? Just said a thousand words. Like, yes. that's when you Well, let's knew. be real. He could go back in the party <laughs> and say, oh, hey, la-da-la person, and he could not give her a speech this time around, bring them back to Earth safely or save them from the experience. She'd be none the wiser. I mean, here's the other thing is there were so many people who died on in that base. Okay, I can understand the people that got infected before the doctor actually arrived. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. Maybe that's, you know, a thing. But, like, he's already messing with a fixed point in time. So he's known for that, though. Well, so then couldn't he just, like, go back in his TARDIS and save everyone? I mean, he's already yeah, spurring Go to history. November 19th and change, change all the water filters. Listen, the most <laughs> biggest problem in Doctor Who are these obvious ones that we bring up almost every podcast. Oh, no, I don't think that's quite as obvious because I think he says it quite literally at the end when he says, I'm saving someone who's important. And it's Adelaide who has to remind him, who do you have? Who are you to decide who's important? He's thinking Adelaide's the important one. He's saving her. And the other two that he saved aren't nearly as important. And that's where I think he's going wrong. I think he's really kind of trying that's where i think the evil the more evil part of him comes out because typically the doctor's always about everybody is yeah should live everybody should have the right to live <coughs> their life and and do what they do because that's more important than anything else yeah i think that uh the 10th doctor on different occasions throughout this uh says you know things like you're not special you're not important and everyone's important. I've never met anyone who wasn't important. And, you know, like you hear that like back and forth dialogue coming a lot. Um, A lot of what you also see with him is snow being like coming in at a dramatic emotional point in time (laughs) because it starts off from the very beginning where he starts complaining about the fact that it, you know, it's not real snow because it's the ashes and like various things like that. You get a few of those and then he's like, Oh, there's real snow. And then like it, keeps happening like repeatedly when there's something big and of course bringing in the christmas specials helped as well but like here we see they went down they could have gone you know at any any weather but it was snowing and the doctor had a very emotional experience in this definitely i i want to say that 
I like some of the side characters too, though. You've got a you've got some backstory to some of them, like Emily, who lose who immediately goes over um, to um, the screen to see her daughters before she goes, and that just that moment I think is is quite touching. Um, you've got you've got um, Roman Groom, who's of course in charge of <coughs> the robots. Um, I think he's kind of uh, the underdog kind of character that you kind of find in these, and and his end is so tragic just because of one little drop of water. And it's funny because how many episodes have we watched in which there are these people who have been infected by something but pretend like they weren't? He was immediately like, you need to go without me. It just took one drop instead of being selfish and thinking, oh, it won't happen to me and infecting everybody. I thought that was very noble of him. Everyone in this really was... You know, incredibly noble, which I guess that makes sense because you have to be a person willing to do a lot of self-sacrifice to go to Mars for, what was it, eight years or something? Yeah, you certainly should be at least. But I think the doctor recognized that too. Like he was he was stunned by, you know, everybody and all the names on there. I don't think he thought one person was really, you know, more important. Or Even though he obviously did. No, I, I don't think so. I think that's that's really the, the slip of the tongue that he's using <coughs> to orient this fixed point in time. It's like you're around this fixed point, and that's why it is. It's not that a one life, you know, isn't still important and to be cherished. I think it's that's, worse that's so that I'm her death about. was really important. It wasn't so much the, you know, how important she was compared to the others. It, like the, the yeah, event of the her dying was, of her death, yeah. But, it inspires know, her daughter and her granddaughter. So right. in order for though that inspiration to come about, she has to have passed away. And she realizes that. She understands that more so than the doctor, which is quite substantial as well. Although he was too I, much in his emotions. I don't. I think that there were other answers and ways to go about this too. Like you could um, take her to her great granddaughter somewhere else in in the future when she thought she was dead. You know, and and we even had that connection of like it almost was like your granddaughter was rushing out through the stars to meet you. They could have met through the stars over in time after she thought she was dead. And still have these impacts. <laughs> yeah, after, these after all, the base did blow up. Yeah, oh, true. I, but this episode was made to prove a point. Yeah, there's just pitfalls it was, in how for it was sure. trying to make a point, and I'm I'm not even sure what the point was. You the know, these rules gone. can be broken or they can't. I, I don't know. It, it kind of leaves it up to both. I think it's just that it's inevitable. And there's kind of a repeating theme of, especially the Tenth Doctor, needing somebody there to stop him. He's, you know, one of the Doctors who very strongly leans on his companions. Because, you know, we even have Donna, like, bring it up. And she says, I think you need someone to stop you, Doctor. And then, like, Martha comes and then Donna recognizes, hey, that was good impact. Now now Donna's gone. The Doctor's going into another spiral. And um, especially because he's decided he doesn't need anyone and won't take anyone with him anymore it's too hard and <coughs> so it, it does it like it tracks very strongly for the character and we see a lot of like recurring themes through it i think that's true i think the ninth doctor kind of is the one that realizes he needs someone and the tenth doctor has to continue maintain that someone and that's the running theme between both actually especially rose taking on the ninth doctor i think that's because he just came out of the time war. He's, according to him, all of his people have died, and it could very well be at his own hand. So it, at least that's what it's alluded to at this point in the series. He is the victor. 
winner. And the victim at the same time. <laughs> well, he also, you know, the knowledge, the foreknowledge of his death is, is weighing on him. Well, true. Very and, strongly. And also, when he's listening to all these people dying behind him, his own conscience takes over and wants to do what he it does best. He's a doctor. He saves people. Okay, but is that really what he does best? Because... We see at the beginning of the episode, I think, probably what the doctor does best, which is interfere when he's not supposed to. He, he's or sitting stumble there, upon it. Well, well who he, says he's not supposed to? Who's making Well, well, well the thing true. is, like, so, so he, he comes in, like, by, you know, his own vision, he's like, I'm not supposed to be. No, he, he actually had many opportunities to just put on the suit and leave at the very beginning, and it wouldn't have been that hard to snag that suit from from those scientists that were standing there holding it loosely, you know? Like, he could have gotten away if he really wanted to at the beginning, but he didn't. He was curious. He had to know what happened there. Why did they blow up the base? (laughs) That would have been a very short episode had he decided to leave. (laughs) Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But I think also it's just that I think the doctor was at war with himself. He wanted to, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to leave at the same time. He was fascinated by it. That sense of wonder takes over. And that's another theme that the 10th doctor typically has is that enormous sense of wonder where he's just so interested in what he's dealing with. Like with the werewolf, he doesn't care about what what the werewolf might do. He's more interested in, wow, there's a werewolf in front of me. And it's Rose that has to literally grab him and bring him back to reality and say, dude, we got to get out of here. <laughs> and, and we do see Adelaide playing the role of contradicting the doctor here. You've got, you know, as soon as he tells her, oh, you're supposed to die, she is fighting him tooth and nail from that moment on of, no, you need to find a way out of this. And then when he finds a way out of it and she realizes what that cost is, she, you know, recognizes that he had made the right decision the first time around. Yeah, it just seems like so many bad decisions, I think, on, on her part. Because, like, if that's really the cost, too, then what is she doing killing herself on Earth at that time in her own home where she can be found? Like, you go and become a missing person. I mean, if that's really your goal for the greater good of all humanity, for this inspiring message, then you chase down your companions and you shoot them, too. You dispose of the bodies and you do away with yourself to make everybody think that it's still on Mars. That's not what happened. I, I don't understand what she was trying to do. Other than say, hey, doctor, you can't, you can't take care of, you can't decide my future. This is how I'm going out. But honestly, with the doctor's powers that we know of, he could go back and rewrite it all. And she'd be none the wiser. I think she was more like just trying to say, I don't think she was trying to say anything. I think she was trying to do what she thought was right in, the instant, in that instance. I think yeah, she, I just don't understand why she thought that would be right. What, what, was she thinking about the consequences? Well, obviously, I think she was thinking of the long term based on what she knew from what the doctor said. Now, granted, she didn't. She wouldn't necessarily know other than the doctor saying this is what happens. And I mean, I, like a granddaughter might be really inspired by her grandmother's suicide in her own apartment to go through the stars. Which she also might be really inspired by her grandmother being alive and saying to go through the stars. So it's kind of uh, it's kind of a weird thing to have to kill yourself in order to pre- yeah, present I, that. But the but it is a fixed point that she dies. So the fact that she kills herself versus some versus the explosion killing her, I don't think 
ultimately. Well, okay, since the doctor feasibly knew that it just had to be her death, but there's no reason for Adelaide to know that. And, and why wouldn't he think that it was the other's deaths that really needed to happen, too? Like, as far as he was concerned, it was all of Estimab for all of their deaths. Possibly, but I think she understood that in order for everything to take place, based on what she understood, and she may just have better intuition at this point because she's thinking more clearly than the doctor. The doctor's going through an emotional point. She's being the leader here. She's taking charge, which kind of shows that she's the stronger of the two at that moment. Typically, it's always the doctor that's stronger than everybody. But in this moment, the doctor's the weak one. And it shows that she becomes the leader that she's supposed to be in order to fix what was wrongly taken away from her to begin with. Yeah, and I think if anything, you know, I, I can award her really noble attentions, really strength of character. Um, and I, I resonate with that, but... It just seems like a, a dumb retaliation of a moment not thought out. Possibly, unless she thought her death was necessary. And the well, only way but she, she did. thought her death was necessary for very different reasons. That was not the death that was necessary. Yes, Carl. Um hmm. I I my favorite character by far is Gadget. Of course. <laughs> um, but I just realized something. You know how when the doctor is, like, taking control over him so he can go get to the TARDIS? Well, he goes through some of the water, but they still bring him to Earth. <laughs> I noticed that, and I'm like, oh, is this a mistake? In the like this. I'm guessing because the water doesn't actually stay... It doesn't infect the robot, so it may not infect her. But if it's on the robot and they bring it to Earth, I feel like they should have been more careful with that. Or like yeah, in the TARDIS, sure. like a single drop. Like he's over here operating the TARDIS. Like is he not oh, going to yeah. get the TARDIS yeah. wet? I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of mists <laughs> and other stuff going on. I did not I mean, notice that. Good job, there's, there's a lot of big risks there. I, I'd say from a virology standpoint... Um, it wouldn't be surprising that a virus that infects humans does not, does not affect humans. Maybe that's how we got the coronavirus. <laughs> Who knows? But, you know, in the same vein, it's, you know, it's, it's weird that uh, a virus, you know, from ancient Mars would have the capability to take care of humans. So a fun fact, but we have like some millions or, you know, estimated millions or thousands upon thousands very close to that of like known viruses that are in the world. Mm-hmm. They're about like... 2,000 or so of them that actually can infect um, mammals. And there's like 89 or something that actually infect humans. So it, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty bizarre, you know, if, if it really is a virus that, you know, it would have that impact. On <coughs> and I didn't understand the whole it creates water thing of the virus either. Like... What is it created out of? It seems like there's unlimited water <laughs> that they have. Yeah, like, I mean, they didn't go into that. Does it pull it out of the air? If so, <laughs> that actually sounds like something that would be, like, a noticeable detriment on, you know, their supplies that are actively generating specific amounts of air. Yeah, it doesn't you know? seem like heat would be able to affect anything with them if they have unlimited kind of water. Well, the cool. doctor does That's... mention that the human body is... 60 to 70 Okay, but water. it leaks all that water. It Like, that's that's more than the amount of water in a human over the course of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Unless, I, 
I'm also confused about their fascination with taking over Earth. That's water. what I was confused about too. Like, you have enough water, do you not? Yeah, they if just... they can create it. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. literally a whole glacier. There's a whole glacier that you well, just know. Keep in mind, they were like, I think what they were were like trapped, but with Earth, they just have like a really easy, like, let me just infect this whole planet and just live here happily, kind of. I think what it is is that they they got like so if they get frozen they you know that you know stops them from being able to do anything and then like it must have been just the base was warmed so they were able to melt and so they you know got out and so like maybe if they were just left on Mars you know eternally eventually that system would break down and it wouldn't be warm anymore and they'd freeze again perhaps. Yes. But if they started on Mars, they should be able to survive in it. Well, maybe not everything is, was well thought out, although I will point out this is a Martian virus, not an Earth-bound one. So who knows what's going on. And it seems to be a virus with intelligence, which kind of gets scary. Yeah, that spreads faster than any virus, you know. Though I have noticed in, like, all the Doctor Who episodes... It's always London, and well, yeah. there's never, and, and they they never mention the fact that it's happening all around the world. They do sometimes. They do sometimes. Sometimes. Praxis. But it's like a UK based like, show, like just like with American movies, everything happens in New York or DC or DC. Yeah, yeah. it's just those two places. It's always that one place. There are other places. Sometimes it's L.A. But what's the... <laughs> yeah. what, what are all the aliens' fascination with Earth? What, Earth? What's so good What's so good about Earth? Because we're stupid and easy to take over. Uh, potentially because the doctor's interested in Earth <laughs> and attracts aliens to attack Earth. <laughs> and aliens may know of our future. And hey, it's a... You know, if I had my pick of the litter in this solar system, I'd be, I'd be going for Earth. Well, based on Doctor Who lore, the humans kind of branch out throughout the universe right. quite readily. So it's kind of like nip this in the bud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take them out before they multiply like rabbits. Yeah, you the thought virus. they'd know, but here they go. Exterminate them. Going back to the intelligence of the virus, mm-hmm. I want to make another what I think might be more charitable. If it is a virus, I think really what we're seeing is not an intelligent virus, but something that really changes your brain structure and your behavior so the viruses can go on and, and multiply and look for particular things. You know, kind of a hijacking of your own um, hardware. I feel like there's also a hive mind because they were communicating with each other oh, yeah. across, like, the whole base. That makes sense. Another hive mind creature. Yeah. Were they? I feel like it, it I feel was. like they were in sync somehow. Yeah. They could hear each other. Okay, yeah, she didn't do a loud scream when she got out of that lake. Yeah, that, that yeah. might be the reason why. They and, there, and at one point, there's a lot of water flowing around, so who knows what transfer of information happens, happens with that mm-hmm. stuff. Okay, well, it's not something to rule out. But they did leave, like, a trail. Yeah, I felt like the moral dilemma in this one was a really good one, but it was dragged out. <laughs> I don't know, it just seems it, it just seems so unresolved whether these are fixed points they're not. Can you really do anything? Like, is it a problem? Is it not? I mean, kind of. I don't know. I think the lesson the doctor took from it was that he should respect the nature of fixed points in time and leave them alone. That's what I got from it. 
I think it's just a whole learning curve for him because he tried something new and it didn't go as planned. <laughs> he got cocky and then ended up getting like punched in the balls. That's yeah. what happened. Well, I mean, he, he realized there's no consequences. Two human lives. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so he'll never try to save any human lives ever again <laughs> in that situation. Well, that's what a great lesson learned by so. the doctor. <laughs> Zero lives are better than two. Zero <laughs> lives matter. Exploits you could do some things about. It does bring back the whole knock four times motif. And, it did. And we had three knocks, and the doctor's like, "No, we're not going to have. I'm not going to let you have the fourth one because the doctor was on fire in this one." So I thought that was kind of. An awesome moment. I do wonder, though, the ood that shows up, is it an illusion, uh, or or is he hallucinating, or is it, not, is it an actual ood that just appears and disappears? I, know, I think it's his imagination. And, and, and time has changed now, and he's he's rewriting all the futures, and now the ood doesn't exist there? Okay. Or, may, the or maybe we'll find out in the next episode. Maybe we will. <laughs> I think that means that we are. You could have just let us talk and like shut up. Yeah. That was also an option, Michael. Well, I'm just saying it could be, it could happen. Yeah, anything can happen. And if not, we will be angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if not, then I'll be like, "Why are you toying with me, boy?" <laughs> All right. So ratings. This sounds like it's gonna be a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I'll go first. I mean, I really go first. Let's just go first. Um. <clears throat> so. I actually liked this episode a lot more watching it the second time around than I did the first time. Like, I was holding your hand and holding your arm and just like, ah, for most of it. I mean, granted, there's a lot of criticism that this episode received for, you know, the very typical Doctor Who villain problem where, oh, this part doesn't make sense. Or why doesn't the Doctor just go back in time and just try it all over again? The basic stuff. But honestly, with these villains... I mean, I didn't mind that there was so little known about them, only because there's just so little, like, no, like, no, like, how do you explain that you don't? So they just were like, listen, this is what we got to do, deal with, let's roll with it. Thought that was cool, didn't mind them, I did think it was a little bit drawn out, however, I think this show, this episode was very crucial and very important to David Tennant's run, because it put him in his place. And like you were saying, Michael, there has been kind of a leading up to the doctor or people being like, hey, you need to, like, have someone there to stop you because you're a little bit cuckoo. You know, and just seeing the look on his face when she took her life, he you could just see everything change. You could see everything change. There didn't need to be a whole him walking into the TARDIS and being like, whoa, is me. Who did I think I am? He just had that face walked into the TARDIS, and that was it. I thought that was incredibly powerful. There's a lot of scenes in this that I thought were really powerful. There were only a few scenes that I think could have been a little bit stronger. Overall, I think I will give this episode a 9. I don't know if anyone else will give it that, but that's where I'm standing. Well, all right, I'd like to follow Jason up here. Okay, I'm going to get yelled at. No, because what's interesting is, is I actually... Largely agree with everything you said. What's interesting is I agree with him, but for but my rating's going to be very different. Okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I think that this was very strong character development for the Doctor. We brought a really interesting character in. It is nice, like, to explore the philosophical dilemmas of, you know, not being able to interfere. Fear. Fear. It was kind of for the majority of this episode, but doing what, you know, Time Lords are supposed to do, which is just go there and watch the events unfold and not interfere. And it was interesting to see how much he felt he could interfere, you know, without breaking time. And, but I thought that, you know, largely the plot of this was was fairly mundane. I thought that the villains were, were pretty boring and not, you know, fleshed out. Like, I mean, I'm, I'd be okay if they didn't explain how they do these things, if they at least, like, gave some sort of semblance of explaining their motivation to go to Earth. And, um, but I kind of thought, you know, the whole thing was a bit dragged out. And I did like, actually, the, um, the storyline of, like, we know that they're supposed to die, like, from the very beginning. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go through that. But as we've discussed on this, like, the part of it, like, the best part of this episode, that scene with the Doctor and Adelaide, was, didn't really ultimately make that much sense. And it was, you know... Which scene? The, the scene where, um, where the Doctor says, I can, you know, do anything I want, and Adelaide's like, no, you really can't, and shoots herself. Oh. Um, it just... Like, that That was great. That was, you know, a phenomenal thing. But it, like I said, <coughs> pointed out, the storyline does, doesn't match up. And it's unfortunate, but for a lot of this, while there were moments of impressiveness, majority was either boring or, you know, nonsensical. So I'm going to give this one a, uh, a four. I wish I could whistle because I would do that whole whistle that's just like goes downhill. <laughs> wow. I actually I actually felt that you were going to say four. Really? I don't know. I, yeah. I, Is that I, because I you're the, thinking four? No. I'm actually thinking nine. Why, child? Okay. Well, look at me. <laughs> um, well, for starters, uh, I watched this as a little kid, so it was hard for me to understand, like, the more, like nitty-gritty details but what really got me as a kid was the um the monsters because they took something as simple as water and made it very scary for me and i feel like that's just um it, it could it may be stupid to some people but taking something as simple as that and making it out into this incredulous thing can really be pretty scary for kids. So, yeah. But then rewatching it, I now have the relief of finally understanding everything that this episode is about, and I understand that it's a lot more important to the whole concept of the Tenth Doctor. Um, like Jay said, it's, it's very it's a very important episode for him. Because he realizes, like he, like he, um, he tries to see what he can get away with, but then he ultimately fails, and that's kind of that learning curve that he kind of needed. So yeah, I'm giving it a nine, but also because gadget, of course. 
Well, it must be my turn to go next. So, I resonate with a lot of the things that have been said here. Um, I'll start out on a lot of the positives. Beautiful imagery of Mars. I like that. Good scenery. Um, I, I did enjoy a lot of the creepiness factor of this villain. Um, although I did think it was, wasn't the best. It was in the, one of those monster of the week categories. We're not going <laughs> to elevate these guys, these water zombies, Agreed. you know, up to a weeping angel or a Cyberman or anything like that. Um, but there's just so many, uh, there's a lot of things about this episode that, that are nice. You know, I, I do really like uh, a lot of the characters in here. Adelaide was a very strong character. We got a lot of good character work from the doctor. But ultimately, I think so much of it falls flat. Their conversations and everything around the fixed point in time, I just have enough caveats that I'm looking at this heavy episode, and it doesn't really paint a clear picture on anything. Um, and I think one of the big weaknesses here is that I feel like I could have wrote or ushered in three or four different endings that I would have enjoyed better than how they ended up wrapping this one. Um, and that's something for me, you know, as a layman, seems almost unforgivable, you know, in this grand opportunity of Doctor Who. Um, just a, a lot of it was kind of incoherent and doesn't make sense. You know, if the Doctor learned a lesson that he wasn't supposed to, you know, mess with time in that way, it seemed like he messed with it. And just about everything still went on, you know, even if he didn't. So you change a few names in a book and there's a slightly different story, but humans still make it out to the stars. And he saves two people. If anything, he should go back and do this again and again. Um, I, I think that there's just, you know, some, some weakness in how it's all organized, what the real messaging is behind it. But what I really loved was some of the conversations just between the doctor, um, and Adelaide as well. I think those were really powerful, uh, particularly the ones that happened on the ship, just about her future and kind of alluding into it. Um, and I like to see the doctor's emotion and him struggling with it, but just a lot of pitfalls here, but... A lot of it was fun to watch, you know, even though I thought I knew where it was going to end up. But I think at the end, I would have preferred that it ended where I thought it would end up. Um, for me, this one's getting a 6 out of 10. Where did you think it would end up? I thought it would end up with um, Adelaide having a really heroic moment and being like, yes, I accept this fate. It's the right thing to do. She presses the button. The doctor's kind of sorrowful about it, but being like, yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I think that would have even been stronger from where we are. I think yeah, there's just, like, this big swirl of confusion. They, they, they just got to make it more complicated, I guess. They certainly they certainly like to do that. Yes. I will take this on next, I guess. Well, yeah, who else is going to do it? The <laughs> walls? <laughs> well, snap, the water can do things, so why can't the walls at this point? <laughs> exactly. Um, this is an episode that... Initially, when first seen, I think is ultimately very scary. The the fear factor with regards to water being such a simple thing kind of harkens back to the Doctor Who of the 1970s when John Pertwee was up against the Autons and they brought police officers out as the bad guys. And that was something that was uh, talked about quite a bit in England because they were like, no, you can't have police officers be bad. Oh, that doesn't work. Uh. That doesn't work. It's too scary. Um, uh, it's the truth. Fun fact. <laughs> Maybe nowadays, but I mean, in general, the, nowadays, the public was like, no, we're not going to have that. Um, but in this case, um, we've got the we've got water, a very simple thing that that Carl pointed out as being the the adversary. And it ultimately turns the humans on themselves. 
which I think in of itself is scary because you're taking someone who is pure, like Andy, for instance. He was so pure in, in wanting to grow his carrots and have a nice Christmas meal. That was that was beautiful. And then all of a sudden he's turned into this creature that's now out to get every single other human that's on on the base. That part of that part of it's actually quite scary, especially for kids. Um and and you just kind of it's like one at a time, they just they fall. And at some point the doctor and the moral fiber of everybody in the show is just like, come on, we've got to do something. We can't just let this go this way. So I really like the moral dilemmas, the characterizations, and the interactions. Could they have explained things a little bit better? Well, this is definitely Russell T. Davies' story. So yeah, it, it probably could have been explained a little bit better. There are there are some pitfalls but I don't think the pitfalls equal or are as important as those interactions between human and Time Lord or human human. And I think that's what the, the whole crutch of this entire episode was about. So I'm actually going to give this an 8 out of 10. I don't, I don't think it's quite 9 level because <coughs> I think there are episodes far better than this one. But in this case, it's solid. There's a lot of solid goodness in it that, that I can give it a solid eight. I wasn't expecting you to rate this episode that high. Me neither. I mean, for me, it was. I felt like I was almost watching this again because the first time I watched it, I didn't really know who David Tennant was. I didn't know who like really the doctor was. Mm-hmm. From this, my biggest takeaway is how this episode made me feel. So that's where the flaws became a lot less like... I guess, significant for me. I just remember my emotions going through all of this, and that's what was impactful. Did the ending not make a lot of sense? Not really, but I understand what was supposed to happen and what was supposed to be the symbolism behind it and where that was supposed to lead him in his path as the Doctor. You know, I I resonated a lot with what Michael said in his analysis, you know, saying that the real value was the conversations with human to human and human to time lord. And I think that's right. I, I think that's, you know, what I gained... Uh, the most of this, but there was a lot more of this episode that had nothing to do with that, that especially at the beginning, I just felt was railroaded and, and not too interesting or complex. I think the intense emotions, though, especially on first initial viewing, I don't think you really think too deeply about it until you've watched it the second time. I literally just said that. Like, if I were to yeah. watch this again and, like, really watch it after getting over, like, that huge emotional roller coaster I went off of, probably <laughs> rate it something like a seven. I was actually like planning on rating this higher before we started the started podcasting, but like as we've been discussing it, like my grading is just like dropped. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to rate it a nine, but yeah, I just think some of like the real key messages and endings and wrap ups just they didn't wrap up. They weren't <coughs> there. I I. I don't think... I think they're open-ended. I think the idea, though, is that you've got this moral dilemma, and that's more important than the than the fixed points in time. One problem with all science fiction that deals with um, time travel is that there is going to be some level of contradiction. And in Doctor Who especially, we don't know what the fixed points of time are. The Doctor does. And even he doesn't necessarily follow them. And in that case, sometimes you've got creatures that come in and swarm you and eat you up and then you disappear for all eternity. Or 
Um, or something like this happens where the, someone actually goes and takes care of it so that things are rewritten, but rewritten to the point where it's still on track that where they, where they die. In yeah. other words, Adelaide. Yeah, those moral dilemmas are, are the value here, I, mm-hmm. I think, and, and I totally agree with. The dilemma was, was great, but the conclusions drawn from that dilemma by both the main characters here just seem completely flawed, and they don't follow. It and they're both smart people. Right. They're, they're some of the smartest, most honorable people, and I don't think either of their conclusions were very smart or, or very honorable in the end. Flat. But the problem with that is is that you're you're taking people who are in an intense emotional situation. Not every time is there going to be the perfect response. Exactly, we're of all course. human. Well, the we're doctors are not. So we're, we're all human. <coughs> so sometimes we'll decide just like we can't save lives, even though clearly we can, or that we're human. So we'll kill ourselves, knowing that that death isn't going to bring forth, you know, the the future that another type of death would have. Maybe she just was like, screw this, I want to die. And I think she was, and, and that was, and if that is the case, like, wow, what a weak ending. Well, she was probably in her emotions being like, I should have died. Maybe it's best if I do die. Not really thinking too much about it, because that's her life. Like, she's like, it was a fixed point that I die. Screw everyone. Screw this guy. I'm just going to die. Yeah, and I mean, the doctor and Adelaide, you know, seem to be the ones who have a lot of emotional resilience. They're, they're clear leaders, they're the ones in that heart of the emotional, you know, heat should be calm, logical, but look at what the doctor for the greater did. good. I, look I, at what the doctor did in wake of his emotions, I, I, for example. I think actually... Save two lives. I think good that, for him. I think Adelaide's suicide had two purposes. One was, was oh trying God. to, you I'm know, to recreate the event that would create all of, you know, the human future and everything. And her other goal was to make a point to the doctor that, you know, he can't control everything. And that it's wrong, too. Well, I think also the doctor goes on a journey where he makes a mistake. And in doing so, there kind of the opposite happens. A mistake is made by Adelaide in order to fix everything. I think, I think a whole lot of this is based on just human nature. We, we tend to make mistakes. We tend, to don't, we tend not to think about things. We just act. And when we act, we do the most extreme things, and that's that's kind of all coming together at the end of this episode. It it shows that not everything's perfect. We don't think things out. We don't think things think things through. And even the doctor is susceptible. I mean, he's been around us so much. Well, I wish the writers would think things through a little bit. <laughs> Well said, actually. <sighs> also, a little slightly off topic on it, but like I did think it was interesting how this was a story set in the future, but it was told very much like a historical story is told. Yes, that is true. Because the Doctor had all the knowledge of what was happening. Yeah, and in the future stories, we, you know, don't, even though, like, feasibly, like, why wouldn't he have that knowledge? But, like, mm-hmm. he never comes in with the, I know what's going to happen. Exactly. Well, maybe you're just, like, a fangirl. Like, this is my territory. This is space. I mean, like, the Also, I don't, I don't like the historical stories as much, so I do that that's it is part of my okay. thing for sure. But like I, I actually did like the way they um they told this because the fact that he had foreknowledge was the moral dilemma and that was interesting. Yeah, I, I thought a lot of the beauty in it was the story of stu- of humans expanding in and how, 
you know, a death or a tragedy can go forth to bring such beauty and, and wonder upon yeah. not just the world, but, you know, the, the galaxy, the universe. Um, but I just think a lot of that potential is just overshadowed by everything that I, we've mentioned. So this episode predicted in 2059, was it, that mm-hmm. we'll be going to Mars? Let's see if that'll happen. Yeah, well, we do have a lot of billionaires trying to get there now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's feasible, but I don't think it would be quite like that. <laughs> Not quite like that. Um, in Doctor Who news, um, it's sad to report that Tony Selby, who played Sabalon Glitz, who we've already podcasted on, has passed away, and he passed mm-hmm. away just in the, within the last week. Um, he, I know we talked about... <laughs> Another Tony Selby who worked for the BBC before had passed away. Everybody thought that Savalon Glitz had gone, but this time it's for real. So rest in peace, and uh, our hearts go out to your family. Didn't you say that one of the actors showed up in the previous Doctor Who episode? Oh, yes. Uh, the, op- the, the actual medical doctor in this was in uh, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. He was the unfortunate victim of the three Daleks that suckered him to old age and, and death. I want him to come back once more time, this time not as a victim, but as the victor. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, hope everyone has a great night. We'll all see you next week. Night. Goodbye. Good night. Adios.